He's got a beautiful backswing. That's, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Layup with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What's good, everybody? Welcome into the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of golf, Oklahoma. And boys, today we have Jim Woodward, a.k.a. Pete Dye, on his land, building an island green, Woody. How is it going? We saw the pictures. We tweeted the pictures out. We have to start the show and ask, how is the island green coming along? Because when you said you were building an island green, I was expecting like a 10-foot little island in the middle of your little pond. No, this is like, I feel like you're making a life-size version of 17 at Sawgrass. Well, I don't know if it's that good, but I'm watching my big old excavator move away. Uh, Man, well, I can tell you one thing. Any listeners out there building a golf course, I got a guy that will run a piece of equipment. He can build whatever you want. I mean, I I didn't build it. I designed it. If I was moving that dirt with that thing, I'd still be out there, and it would be ugly. But uh, we're nine days into this project, and I think today's the last day. We've been going about from seven to seven every day. I don't ever want to move dirt again i don't ever want to run an excavator i don't want to run a skid steer i'm done i I gotta take a break (laughs) woody so obviously last (laughs) show you said that your wife wanted the pond to be a little smaller right but you said okay that's fine but i'm gonna build an island green tell the people how you even came up with the idea to put the island green in your new pond well, it, it's one of those deals. You know how it goes. One thing leads to another when you're doing projects. Um, Oak Tree, you know, I'm so lucky that when I teach up there at Oak Tree, they've, they've got a bunch of range balls, and they don't sell their range balls. They they donate them to different programs and all sorts of stuff. So like, I, I take a bunch of the Carl Albert golf team that I work with. So, Kimmel one day said, what are you taking as many boxes as you want? And I thought, well, I've I'm going to take, you know, 10, 12 of those boxes of balls. And then I looked out my back door down to my lake and I thought, boy, that's a cool place to hit golf balls. <laughs> and so then I, then I had an old two man bass boat I never used. So I anchored it out in the middle of it. And I thought, well, I'm going to, I'm going to just shoot golf balls at that. And that was fun, but that thing was hard to hit. And, uh, so when we started this project and it got to going pretty good, you know, and I could see what I had, I thought, you know what? I've got an excavator. Man can do almost anything. If you give him a duct tape and bailing wire and an excavator, hell, I can go to the moon. I, I'm going to tell you what, I can do whatever the hell I want to do. So I'm, I'm thinking, well, man, well, can you build this? Well, come to find out, man, well, it worked on a golf course four years ago. He goes, oh, see, see, I can build that. And I went, okay, here's what I want. And so I, I kind of staked it out and told him where I wanted it. And hell, the rest is history. Uh, as soon as I get water to come back into my lake, I'm going to have me a nice little island green. It, now, it might not be tall grass, but uh, it, it's not bad. I'll tell you what, boys, I'm, I'm damn impressed with myself. Well, I shouldn't say myself. I'm damn impressed with Manuel. So, Woody, I mean, just are is this going to be the only green that you have out there? Is this is this the only experience we're going to get to give? Because you were telling me off air it's going to be about 150 yard shot, which seems just iconically like number 17 at Sawgrass. So, I mean, 
Are you going to start inviting people out there, have some beer and stuff, and get a party going on? I mean, what are your plans once it's all finished? Well, the federal government says that my farm needs to make money. So I might open up a little driving range. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do with it. And, and to say that I'm done building golf holes, uh, never say never, okay? Uh, I, I live on 40 acres, and uh, i got a lot of space. I mean, I could have a hell of a little part three. I couldn't build a full-ass golf course, but uh, Woody, all you to need say is that I'm – You need to, you need yeah, to put some lights out there. Well – uh, it's funny you should say that because uh, I had to run 550 feet of wire down to a pump. And so that was the first time I dug a ditch and pulled wire. Boys, you don't want to do that either. That is work. Uh, what I've come to find out with these projects is I had a really good job. I still do as a golf pro. Man, this manual labor is tough. It is. I, I have a whole new respect for everybody out there that works for a living because you know my wife always said i didn't ever work for a living i thought i worked pretty hard no no i i didn't work very hard at all judging from what i've been doing out here so uh i needed to buy this when i was 40 not 65 i'll just tell you that so woody i have two questions here number one where are the fish right now while you're digging out the pond well, no, there's still water. That's the cool thing. That's how good this guy is with a skid steer. I've still got a pretty good sized body of water. And what we did is we just built right up to the edge of it, okay? And then, like, well, yesterday we made one small fatal mistake. Uh, he was moving with the excavator, and he kind of was taking down this little knob, and we went too low. And then all of a sudden water comes flooding. And uh, that's the only time I've seen Manuel panic. And I think the reason he panicked, is he knew I had to move dirt on the skid steer to try to block the water from going any further. And I think he was a little worried about me with pressure. And I wasn't as good under the pressure as I am just running back and forth moving dirt. So I'll <laughs> tell you that I choked. I choked a little bit, but we were able to stop the water. So what will happen, believe it or not, is the next time it rains, and I wish Mike Morgan had some pull because that, that yo who doesn't do nothing for me. I got no <laughs> rain, Okay. So I need rain, but once I get rain, what will happen is it will just flood over this one little area and fill all that up, up to my island green. I've got a hell of a plan, boys, but it might not work, but I think it's going to work. So I, my, it's dang good. That's my second question is how are you going to mow it? Can you get a boat out there or is there a walkway? There's a walkway. I build a walkway. I made sure I build a walkway so that you can get out to my green. Because the next thing I got a bum from Oak Tree is a flag stick, a cup, and a pit. Because I'm a, I gotta dig me a, I gotta dig me a cup and stick a cup in the ground, and and then hit my flag out there. So I've got a way to go out there and mow it. Now I'm I'm probably gonna just put common Bermuda down. I'm not gonna mow it that good. So you don't want to putt on it. Right. But it'll be a pretty cool little target just sitting out there in the middle of that water. I think we might have some games to play during majors weeks out at Woody's par three. Um, maybe we oh, get some listeners out there and have a little closest to the pin contest or something like that for some uh, 73rd hole gear or something in the future. We I think have, it'd be a hoot. Absolutely. We have unlimited ideas with Woody's part three. <laughs> that is freaking awesome. <laughs> and you know what else is freaking awesome, guys? That's Quail Creek Bank. Woody, I know that you have a lot of work going on, so I know that you haven't been able to get up to Quail Creek Bank and see your friends, but tell us what they're doing up there at Quail Creek Bank. 
Well, one of the reasons I had to finish my project is next week I get to do what I always love to do. I'm actually going to go out to Gallardia next Thursday, and I get to play with a number of people that work at Quail Creek Bank. I play five or four holes with each little group. So it, it's one of my favorite things to do because I always love talking to those guys about banking and what's going on and how they're doing. And uh, uh, I'll have to get my buddy Mark Davenport out here to see my, my island green. I think he'll be duly impressed with me. But Quail Creek Bank, I, I, we, we can't brag on them enough. They're, they're one of the best banks. They have no ATM fees. They, they're great with small business loans, car loans, home loans, whatever you want to do. They're an all-purpose bank that has been in business, I said this last time, 50 years. Go see them. I promise you, go see Quail Creek Bank. They're located easy. We're right there on 122nd and May Avenue. Well, T-Dub, Live Golf is headed to Jeddah, Saudi Arabia this week, and obviously they are playing Royal Greens Golf and Country Club, the same course that they played in the Saudi International Tournament earlier this year that Harold Varner III won. Harold Varner III is in this field for Live Golf. Jeddah, there are no changes as far as the field goes from Bangkok to Saudi Arabia. Um, so, T-Dub, what are you looking forward to? The main thing I see, at least about the golf course in Jeddah coming up tomorrow is that the golf course will be about 800 yards shorter than it was in Bangkok. Yeah, it's one of the few times that we're getting to see a live event and we actually have a little bit of, of course history to go off of because they've had, like you mentioned earlier, they had the Saudi International this year, but they've also had the Saudi International there the previous three years before that. And they've actually hosted numerous uh, ladies European tour events out there as well. So very interesting aspect to it um, from, from that point. So just looking off the guys that have played well, here in the past, Dustin Johnson sticks on the list. He's played here four times, finished first, second, first, and eighth. Cam Smith finished fourth uh, here earlier this year. Uh, Harold Varner, like you mentioned, won at, at 1,300. Bubba Watson finished 12th. He's just going to be a captain, not not even a playing captain. Matt Wolf finished sixth. Uh, Abraham Answer finished eighth in that week. Joaquin Neiman finished eighth as well. So I, I expect the tie to be a little different this week, Woody. I, I think that uh, maybe not even just my top three bet like we had last week, but I do expect the cream to be a little bit more at the top on this course as opposed to what we saw in Bangkok. Well, they have history. That's what you said, and that's one of the most important things. Uh, you know, a golf pro that's gotten to play uh, a golf course three, four, or five times, that's a big advantage. I, I, whether you believe it or not, I don't I don't know if people believe that, but it is a big advantage. Not, not knowing exactly where you're going on some of these golf courses that they'd never seen is a little bit difficult. Uh, so I'm like you. I think the cream will come to the top. But you know what? I still think maybe it's going to be another first-time winner this week. I don't know why I believe that, but I just kind of get this feeling that guys are getting their feet under them. They're getting comfortable. This this tour is fun to play, obviously. They, they actually are enjoying it. You can tell with their interviews how much fun they're having playing this. So... I'm thinking that we're going to still have a sleeper this week. I don't know why I believe that, but I think we're going to have another first-time winner. I tend to agree with you, Woody. As far as the favorites go for Live Golf Jetta, that would be Dustin Johnson at plus 450, Cam Smith at plus 550, Joaquin Neiman at plus 900, Patrick Reed at plus 1600, and Taylor Gooch round out the top five at plus 1800. T 
T-Dub, I'm looking here on this list, and I see a lot of long shots or longer shots uh, that I kind of like this week. Maybe throw 10 bucks on Harold Varner the third at plus 2,200. Um, even going down the list here, you know, to like a Brandon Grace at plus four, uh, plus 4,000. I mean, that's pretty solid odds on, on, on guys that, you know, have played well there in the past. And um, even a guy like a Sergio Garcia, plus 2,200. Um, I look for guys like a Bryson DeChambeau, Brooks Kepka, that they're right around 2,000. I look for them to have good weeks this week as well. I, I think that we could see kind of like Woody, Woody said, I, I'm looking for a guy 2,000 or, or higher in the odds this week. Yeah, and uh, most of those picks you list off, I, I like the one I probably wouldn't go with is Brandon Grace just because yeah. he had to withdraw in the second round because he hurt his oblique or something like that. And his trainer actually even came out and said they interviewed him right after he got worked on and said that he didn't think there was any chance he's going to be able to play this week. So, in all honesty, I haven't heard any update. I, from what I saw, I'd be surprised if he even teased it up. But if he right. does, I think it's, I think it's going to be hard for him to to play good enough golf to win because it's, these live events are the hardest events to try to withdraw from because you finish DFL, you get 150k or whatever it is. So it, it's really hard not to play uh, whenever, even if you have even the slightest injury going on. I, I one guy I do like, I do like Sergio this week. He finished sixth and twelfth here back in 2020 and 2021. So a little bit of decent form there. And then someone that you guys were on last week, I think Bryson's going to have a fairly decent week. He's finished 6th and 18th here the two times he played here um, in 2022, but he did have to withdraw because that was basically when his injury started. So, yeah, I do think there are a few guys down there uh, that could do it. But, I mean, Dustin Johnson's record speaks for itself with how well he's done. And then Harold Varner actually leads everyone in, in true strokes gain on this course. But he's only played here once, so it's kind of a little bit of a fluky deal there. So I, I don't know. I'm not willing to make a bet on any of those top three, top four guys. Cause I kind of am with y'all. I do think there'll be someone who, who kind of comes up and at least pushes for it, but it wouldn't shock me at all. If Dustin Johnson or uh, Cam Smith in particular, cause like I said, he finished fourth here. I expect him to play a hell of a lot better than he did in Bangkok. I totally agree with that, T-Dub. And this is, obviously, we've seen it at the Saudi International, but this just seems to me like one of those golf courses similar kind of to what we saw in Vegas last week. I think it's kind of a desert golf course. It is, um, you know, right next to the Red Sea, right? It, it, isn't it right kind of on the Red Sea? But I, I think that it's going to play a little bit easier than other courses we've seen in Live Golf uh, Invitationals. So I, I would assume that whatever guy I go with at the end of uh, this show is going to be a guy that I feel like can make a whole lot of birdies. And Woody, that comes to my next question is, when you're starting out an event, and we kind of talked about it um, when we were talking about Vegas last week, but when you're starting an event and you know that um, for this event, for 54 holes, you're probably going to have to shoot at least, you know, six, seven under per round. How do you kind of, uh, you know, keep your mindset when you're even par through six holes? That's funny. You, you know, when I first got on the PGA Tour, I was, uh, I had the worst tee times. Of course, rookies do. You're, you're, uh, you're late tee times. You're one of the last people off. It's usually about two o'clock when you're finally getting to play. And I'd get to the golf course and there'd be the morning round would have already played, you know, and they, there's guys who were shooting seven, eight, nine under. And I'm going, I thought this golf course was hard. I, how are they shooting that? And I would kind of panic a little bit, but then I realized they're not going to do it every round. Okay. So 
this is a little different where I'm going to say it'll probably be 17, 18, 19 under wins this golf tournament. So, you, you know, you do the math, and that pretty much tells you you better be five under better every round you play. So I don't think you go out of the box, though, thinking that. I think you go out of the box doing like you always do. You go out and you play your first hole and you play your second hole and you you try to get something going. If you get something going, you go as deep as you can, and then the next day you come back and you do it again. But I don't, I don't think you set your thoughts of going. Well, how am I going to get to fifteen to seventeen under? I think it's like I'm going to go out and play, and if it's my week, I'll get there. I don't have to worry about it. And, and T Dub, that kind of leads me to my next question. Obviously, Harold Varner the third finished at thirteen under when he won the Saudi International. Bubba Watson finished second at twelve under. Uh, we see Cam Smith was in the top ten. Matt Wolf was in the top ten. Abe Answer was in the top ten. Dustin Johnson, Joaquin Neiman, um, the likes were all in the top ten. Phil finished eighteenth. Henrik Stenson finished seventeenth. So a bunch of live guys played well when they had that public investment fund, Saudi International. So my point is, do we look for course history here? Or are there too many guys with good course history on this golf course to where it kind of levels the playing field when trying to trying to put some odds on it? I would I would definitely lean more towards course history. I do think there'll be a couple people who haven't played here uh, before who didn't end up having a decent week. It's kind of like you mentioned too, Jeddah is essentially right on the Red Sea. It's a port city. It's actually right next to Mecca, which is a very, very popular uh, religious spot. So that's pretty cool. Cool little tidbit there. But yeah, just going over the amount under par that, that won this tournament going back, like you mentioned, Harold Varner won at 13 under. TJ won at 19 under. There was, uh, I believe, a 16 under in there, uh, 12 under. Graham McDowell won. So the winner's definitely going to be double digits under par. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Looking here in a little bit, I do remember there were some times where a little bit of wind picked up. I don't know if that's going to be the case this week, but if we get, you know, 10 to 15 mile an hour gusts, I think we'll kind of be around what Harold Varner did at about 12 or 13 under par. But one other thing to note as well, too, we're only having three rounds as opposed to four. So I I think that that's probably a a good point. It's going to be probably, I mean, because if you go five under each round, that's 15 under and it's a par 70. So you're looking at 65 for three straight rounds to get you minus 15. I think that is a very, very, very solid chance to uh, end up hoisting the trophy and the $4 million check at the end of the week. Absolutely, guys. And I think it is time to make our picks for Live Golf Jetta. So, Woody, I think you have the first pick, uh, as always. Imagine that. <laughs> so, who are you Imagine going that. With? <laughs> what he said last again. I was a thunk it. <laughs> who are you going with individually at Live Golf Jetta? Well, I said I thought it'd be a first time winner. So, let's go with Harold Barnes. Let's go with him. I think he's got good history, and I'm going to go with him this week. T-Dub? Got, got to go with the guy that I led, led off this segment with, Dustin Johnson. He just played so well here, and he was just named – I don't know if that's something we even talked about yet. He was named the Live Golfer of the Year with two events left. He got $18 million bucks just handed to him. So, DJ's on, on a little bit of a high streak right now, and I'm going to go ahead and roll with him. I would be fairly shocked if he wasn't in the top five or six uh, by the come the end of the week. Guys, I'm going with a guy who I don't think has been picked yet in our picks for Live Golf Invitationals. I am going with Paul Casey, who finished 15-under, tied for third in Bangkok. He's playing solid golf, and I really like his team as well. Hopefully, I'll get his team. Guys, what were the team standings as far as our picks went last week in Bangkok? Because I had uh, Team Punch, and I don't think they did very well. Let's let's go back and look here. Team Punch finished ninth. 
Uh, what do you add? I had the Crushers. They end up doing pretty they, good. They finished second, and that's the team that I like that Paul Casey is on along with uh, Charles Howe III, Lahiri, and DeChambeau. I think that they're one of the more loaded teams uh, if you take the four aces out. So that means that I will pick the team first, and I'm going with the Crushers this week. Give me the Crushers, DeChambeau, Casey, Howe, and Lahiri. Woody, who is your team this week? And you cannot pick the four aces. Oh, I don't want those donks. I mean, gee whiz. You guys talked me into it last time. How did I do? I finished last, okay, once again. Uh, who, uh, who's Varner play for? The Niplets. He has yes. Hudson Swaffer, James Pyatt, and Turk Pettit on their team. I do believe they finished fourth or fifth in the team last week, so they actually had a really good finishing in Bangkok. Tied for fourth. Yeah, but, you know, see, now you're sucking me in again. You're trying to get me to go there. I ain't going there. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go with the Spaniards. I'm going with, because I think yeah. is still on, I think he's still on a roll, and I think uh, seven, uh, I went brain dead, but uh, Sergio um, answer. I think that, yep. Sergio, yeah, that's where I went brain dead, because they told me today, I read that he was probably the most unsportsmanlike uh, professional out there. Well, Did you guys read that? I didn't read that. What, what, what were they saying about Sergio? They said that he he would rank as the most unprofessional professional in the game today. Interesting. That, that wow. I mean, yeah. That yeah. doesn't surprise. It's not me. shocking though. Uh, no, no. I mean, he's had a he's had a rough go, and he's getting ready to do that deal with. I think he's going to be out of the DP tour now, and uh, so. But I'm still going with the Spaniards. I'm going with them. I, I, like I think it. they're going to win this week. They got their first. I, I win wanted in I wanted to pick them. I think we're going to win again. Sam, can you help me out a little bit? I'm on, I'm on Live Golf's website, and I'm debating between the High Flyers and the Majestics. And okay. somehow on this site, Lee, Lee Westwood is listed on both teams. What, uh, who, who is the fourth player for the High Flyers? Because I know Westwood's not on their team. Bill Wolf, Tringali, and who's the other one? Viesberger. Viesberger. Okay. Okay. So the, we we got to get we got to contact the guys at the Live website to get that fixed because <laughs> that, that can be very confusing. Um, and I really wanted the Spanish team, Woody. I think they're going to play good. You, you, y'all, you both have taken the two picks that I want, but uh, you know what? Go go ahead and give me the high flyers. I think they're going to play good. I think Phil will be motivated, and uh, Matt Wolf's played good at the Sports Finish fourth here in uh, in earlier this year, so I expect him to play good. So give me the the high flyers. Wouldn't have been my first pick off the board, but I'll take him at three. That's very interesting. The Cleeks were a good team in Bangkok with McDowell, Keimer, Cantor, and Bland. The Ironheads uh, finished at 36 under, tied for fourth with the Niblicks last week. Obviously, the Ironheads have Kevin Na. Um, and then the four aces. Do the four aces, guys, bounce back uh, this week in Saudi Arabia? I tend to think that they do. They're just too good. And Patrick Reed, I think, is the key to that team. If Patrick Reed plays well we know that Gooch will probably play well most tournaments and Dustin Johnson is the best player on the tour um, and then obviously Pat Perez is just kind of the wild card of that group but I think that that team all comes down to how Patrick Reed plays and I think he'll probably have a pretty good week in uh, Jeddah Saudi Arabia T-Dub. He finished second in Bangkok so I mean he's definitely playing good golf he's had some really good live finishes as well I, I've picked Dustin Johnson in the video I, I expect him to play very well as I alluded to earlier and I expect Gooch to have a, a good week this week. I think this is probably a course that sets up well for him. As long as it suits his eye and he's used to the, you know, time travel and all that stuff, I think he's going to have a good week. So, yeah, I would, you know, honestly, if we were going to, if there were odds for the team chase, I would bet the four aces would be uh, minus money, which is, uh, which is pretty telling. And it's probably good we didn't pick him in this pool because I would definitely favor them to, uh, to win this week. 
I was going to ask you guys a question, though. I, I figured it out that, uh, you know, where you're talking about Pat Perez. I saw some pictures of his wife. Have you seen that girl? Yes. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I, I, all I got to say is, wow. Uh, now I know why he went to that tour. She looks expensive. Very expensive. <laughs> so, uh, I, I got to say, I'm pulling for him in a way because he's going to need some cash. He's going to go through <laughs> <laughs> oh, Woody. Uh, so, anyways, we do also have golf going on across the Pacific Ocean in Japan at the Zozo Championship. Brendan Steele, boys, is in the lead by one over Adam Shank at six under, Adam Shank at five under, Sam Ryder at four under, along with Matthew Neesmith continues to play some solid golf in Keegan Bradley. But, boys, the name that I see here on the leaderboard that intrigues me the most is Ricky Fowler. And we talked a lot about Ricky Fowler a couple weeks ago. Now that he's going back to Butch Harmon, Woody, do you think that Butch Harmon is fixed or at least fixed some of what Ricky Fowler needs him to fix in such a short amount of time to where Ricky might be competing on the weekend in some events this year in 2023? Oh, I think he'll compete. I said that earlier when I, he went back to Butch. Now, I don't, I don't expect it to happen overnight, but you can already see there's just a different, uh, he just walks different. He looks different to me. He's getting that, that kind of cockiness back again. And that's what Butch is so good at is he's not really fixing golf swings as much as he's fixing brains. And let me tell you something, Ricky Fowler's brain needed a lot of fixing. So, um, I look for him to have a good week this week at the, at the Zozo. I, I, you don't know. I, I mean, but I think I said it earlier in our shows that I think Ricky Fowler is going to have a great 2023. I really do. And if he can do something before the end of the year, that's even more icing on the cake. I, I totally agree with that. T-Dub, did you see any of Ricky Fowler today that makes you think that uh, he has some stuff figured out? Look, I, I've over the past, I've been what people would say a quote-unquote Ricky hater. And, and I'm at the point now to where I, I do want him to come back and play some good golf, but I want his good golf to be steady. And I don't know if I'm at a point to where I think he can play like this for four four rounds in a tournament yet. I mean, we'll, we'll see these next few days. I do think this is a course that probably sets up for him fairly well just because you have to be fairly accurate off the team. You have to hit very solid iron shots. It's one of the reasons why Tiger won here in 2019. So, But, but yeah, I, I definitely want Ricky to come back, and I think it's going to be – a really good weekend if he's up there, but but we've seen this before where he's had I can't remember what tournament it was a couple months ago where he shot like five under the first round and was in the top five or ten and then ended up missing the cut because he played so bad in the second round. So I I just don't want to see stuff like that happen. So I, it's positive to see Ricky's growth come on and see him play a little bit better golf, but it needs, needs to be more consistent. I'm not at the point now to where I think that is going to happen. I sure hope it is. It may take him till the middle middle of next year, maybe even towards the end of the year. Hopefully, he can find a bit more consistent form. But I'm just not at the point to where I'm seeing it. But I, I am changing my opinion. I do hope that I am wrong uh, on this take. Woody, we see a couple local guys at even par and one under par uh, after the first round at the Zozo. That is Victor Hovland at one under par and Taylor Moore at even par. Taylor Moore is a guy that I feel like not a lot of people know a whole lot about uh, nationally, but he had a really solid year last year, even made it through one playoff event last year. Taylor Moore seems like the guy that has enough talent uh, to compete on a weekly basis or at least make a whole lot of money on the PGA Tour, Woody. 
I, he showed his stuff last year, and, and and a lot of times, you know, you're coming back after a good year, and it's it's hard because you just get right back into the mix. You know, there's not a lot of lay down time on the PGA Tour. You got to get right back focused and going. Um, I'd love to get him on our show. We need to work on that because I think our our, our listeners would love to uh, get to know him a little better. I think he's I think he's got. Uh, just a ton of talent. He has to. You can't play as good as he did last year. So I look for a big year out of him, too. And I, like I said, I'd love to have him on and get a chance to chat with him. We definitely will. And, T-Dub, the thing that I like the most about Taylor Moore's game is that he's an athlete that plays golf. He's one of the more athletic people that I've ever played golf against, especially in junior golf or, or college golf. I think that his athleticism is going to transfer over and give him longevity where other players might not have it. Oh, 100%. I mean, we, you know, we've had him on our podcast before, just before Woody ended up joining us. And I mean, we've talked about how he's, he's essentially a, a six foot kid who can, who can dunk a ball very easily. I mean, he's one of the more athletic kids you'll, you'll ever find. I played basketball against him and I don't want to do it again because he just dribble it right past <laughs> you and make you look foolish. So, I mean, I mean, the kid is an absolute star and, it's so impressive that he was able to be in the top 70 uh, on the FedEx Cup standings in just his first year out there. And so I, I definitely expect this to keep going on and be a trend. And uh, the next thing for him, honestly, he's just playing such more consistent golf, which is kind of the opposite of what we're talking with Ricky. But he's been playing so so steady. He just needs to get a point now to where he's going to be able to, to win a tournament. I believe his best finish last year, he did finish fourth in the team event at Zurich. But uh, his best finish was at the Wyndham, where he finished fifth. So if he can just get himself in some more situations like that, maybe even this week, and up at the at the top of the leaderboard and be battling out and have them those Sunday pressures on you will be big for him. And if he can go through those growing pains successfully, I think he's going to be one hell of a player and have a very very long career on the PGA Tour. And then Woody, the other guy that I was talking about is Javi, Victor Hovland. Um, in 2022, he had 26 starts, 13 top 20s, 8 top 5s, and 3 wins. But they all came earlier in the season. It was kind of a disappointing summer for Victor Hovland. What does Victor Hovland have to do other than the obvious, get some chipping woes figured out? Um, what does he have to do to compete kind of on a more regular basis on the PGA Tour and kind of jump from the really good to the elite level? Oh, I think it's just what you said. His short game's got to get just a little bit better. I think he's got to chip better. He's got to putt just a little bit better. He's such a good ball striker. Woody, I will he's say, that kind as, of far, guy. as far as the putting goes with Victor Hovland, he gained almost a half a shot per round on the field, strokes gained on the greens, which was .3, um, almost 30% better um, than what he did in 2021. So he he's figuring out the putting, but the chipping actually got almost a half a shot worse last year. So, you know, it's kind of a catch 22 there. Yeah, it is. It is. And I, I knew he was putting better than what he was. So, I mean, but I, I don't know. There's, you know, when you think about the PGA tour, there's such a fine line. I mean, if, if you drop a half a stroke anywhere with the you're chipping, you're putting, drive the ball just a little bit better or whatever it is, it's amazing what you can do. You know, they always say if you could just, you know, shoot one shot lower every round, what could that do? And I think you'd be surprised. It would probably have taken Victor to the winner's circle more than three times. So, yeah, it's a fine line. I hate to question him in any way because he's so doggone good. Uh, we got to remember, too, he's still young, too. He's got he's got a few more years get under his belt before I think he's as consistent as you're wanting him to be. 
And, and real, real quick, Sam, just, just to bring up your, your point that you mentioned. So his last six events, we, we most remember him recently for being in the final group of glory at the open where he finished fourth. So he's played, including that event, he's played six events. He's gained strokes gained putting every single one of those events. He gained strokes gained around the green four out of the six events, which is very, very impressive for Ali Benchippen. He actually lost strokes gained approach in two of the, in two of the six events. So, he had the same amount of, of times where he lost strokes gained approach as he did around the green. But the difference was was that on his approach shots, almost every week he gained at least half a shot or, or even sometimes two shots. But the week that he was off, it was .61 and .95 minus. So it seems like for Hovland, something we hadn't seen really much before, Sam, where he's, he's kind of having not even just slightly streaky, but pretty streaky ball striking weeks. And that's not something we're used to seeing from him. Yeah, and I think for a while there, I saw Victor Hovland kind of had the left miss off the tee box that I had never seen with him, but he kind of seems like he's getting the driver figured out. It's not like the driver was broken, um, but it just wasn't absolute you know, stripe shows like we've seen from Victor Hovland in the past. So I, I tend to agree with you guys. If I had to bet on it, I would say, you know, I, 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 I would say he has a better summer than he did last year. It would be hard to top three wins, but obviously those came early in the year. I just want him to get with, you know, whether it be Stan Utley or, or, you know, Phil Mickelson or whoever else and ask, you know, them what they think he should do around the greens because there's no reason why a player of his caliber shouldn't be able to put a basic chip shot within, you know, three feet of the hole on a consistent basis. It just, it, it boggles my mind sometimes, Woody. And, and I don't, I wouldn't even know where to start with him, but I, I'm sure that he could find someone to help him to where when he gets under pressure, you have some technical things to rely on to at least give you the confidence that you're going to chip it up there stone dead uh, at least, you know, 60% of the time. I think you're spot on with that. And, and I think he'll, I think that chipping woes, like any woes in golf, whether it's driver yips, putting yips, chipping yips, it takes time. You've got to work through it. And uh, not everybody's as good as Tiger Woods, where he was chipping really bad at one time, if you remember some of the chips he hit, and he got it fixed in no time. Uh, not everybody's as talented as he is. So, Victor... Victor is, he's still got some demons, and he knows he does, but uh, the more times he gets under the gun, the more times he gets into position, and uh, I, I promise you, somebody's been helping him with his chip, and I don't know who it is. He wouldn't, he didn't say it, or I wouldn't think he would say, but he's getting better, and uh, I, I don't know that anything can help except reps, and the more he's in the hunt, the more he can get those reps, and um I don't know. We're, we're going to have to wait to see. He's one of those kinds of guys that you, you wouldn't be surprised if he won four or five times again this year. Exactly right. And and there's one more guy I want to get to, T-Dub. And I got to ask you, because I feel like he's one of the more slept on guys on the PGA Tour, and he's three under at the Zozo Championship right now after the first round. That is Xander Shoffley. And Xander Shoffley last year had 23 starts, 17 top 20s, seven top fives, and three wins. And I feel like we still don't talk about him when we talk about the elite players on the PGA Tour. Why is is that is it just because of the majors t-dub i i think that is actually probably exactly why um i would uh, it's a it's a debate i think between him and cantley who's the who's the best current player to not have a major in all honesty i'll probably lean toward towards shawfly what what's very very great about shawfly's game is literally everything because go back to when he uh he joined the pj tour in 2017 but 2018 through through this last year 
it gained strokes gained in every single category, every single year. He is above average, or in most categories, he's borderline elite in, in every category. So, I mean, he's an absolute world beater. He's a superstar. He's going to win numerous majors. It's just going to, I think, maybe take him a little time. I would, I would honestly be shocked. Maybe not completely shocked, but I would be, if I had to bet if he would win a major next year or not, I would say that he will. I think his time is coming, and I, I would probably pick him to end up winning this tournament going forward because he said he's three under. He's only three off the lead with three rounds to go. He hit, uh, I believe, 15 or 16 greens yesterday, so his ball striking is there. So, yeah, I absolutely love Xander Shoffley, not for, even for this week, but for, for next year in particular. I think he's going to have an outstanding year and have a chance to win upwards of probably four or five times. Yeah, and what do you, you guys do? remember, too? Like, I Sam, I remember with Shoffley, we were talking earlier in the year that he couldn't, get, he couldn't break through and win. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. He was bam, bam. You know, he just all of a sudden he found that. So he'll do that with majors, too. I, I, I believe that. I really do. Yeah, what do you, I, I think that's a completely correct point right there. And, and we talk about, you know, him not winning enough. And last year he had three wins, which is more than he's had in his entire career. And I don't know if you want to count the Zurich that he won as the team event. Um, obviously winning the Travelers and then the Genesis Scottish Open later in the year. That's two wins individually on the year last year it, it just seems like to me with Xander Shoffley all he needs is one major and then we'll consider him in that same group with Rom and uh you know Rory and those elite players on the PGA Tour because the stats back up the fact that he should already be up there he just hadn't won a major yet Woody spot on and and, and like anything open the floodgates if if you win one and you convince yourself I can win one you know what I mean then the rest is fun. You know, he, he might win a number of them. Like P-Dub said, we don't know, but he's got to win the first one first. 100% guys on the other side of the break, we'll get into some more stories in the world of golf. But first let's hear from McCray roofing here on the 73rd hole podcast, the official podcast of golf, Oklahoma. When something the size of a golf ball hits your roof, you need to call McRae Roofing. McRae Roofing is Oklahoma's designer roofing service specialist. For years, Jeff McRae and the experienced team at McRae Roofing and Exteriors have served fellow Oklahomans by helping them with their roofing needs. McRae Roofing uses only top quality materials and professional crews to make sure that each job is done right so it will give you the years of service, security, and protection you need from the unpredictable Oklahoma weather. McRae Roofing offers residential and commercial roofing, ventilation services, and custom copper designs. McRae Roofing is dedicated to exceeding the homeowner's expectations. It's not just a roof. It is your home's crowning glory. Call McRae Roofing today at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. Make sure to also visit their website at McRaeRoofing.com. That's M-C-R-A-Y Roofing.com. Don't get caught with a leaking roof. Contact McRae Roofing for your free inspection today. And we are back rolling along on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. And like I always say, go get all of your local golf news from GolfOklahoma.org. You can see great stories such as the Southwestern Christian Boys team claimed second in the Memphis shootout. Uh, Pakash was the medalist uh, for that tournament. And then Wilcoxon and 
Bogdanovich uh, finished second and third as the NSU Riverhawks won in Missouri. And then Henson Tolshard uh, took third place for the Cowgirls in the Illini Women's Invitational. Uh, what, do you, what are you doing out there? I heard you say something during the break, and I said save it for this side of the break. Did you just come up with an idea out for the Island Green out on the land? Uh, yeah, I did. I, I I hate it when I'm standing out here. I got nothing to do but listen to y'all talk and, and visualize <laughs> what I'm going to do. And uh, I got it figured out. I'm going to build about three other tee boxes that will circle my island green. That way, whichever way the wind's blowing, you can either hit into the wind, crosswind, downwind. Oh, man. I'm, I'm thinking. I'm working. I'm working. <laughs> Woody, who's your favorite course designer? Oh, man. Oh, good that's a, boy, that's a tough question. I, I tell you what, you know, it is it is pretty tough to go against our local boy, the Southern Hills and Dornick and uh, Hutch, you know, up there at uh, Prairie Dunes. Yep. Um, Perry Maxwell. I mean, that. I got to tell you, Perry Maxwell is is right there. If he's not, if he's not the best, because I'm I'm a Fazio. I like Fazio's work too. But but what you got to remember about Perry Maxwell is he did it before we had all this fancy equipment and we had all the stuff these guys have now, and he did it on pieces of land that really are pretty small. When you get right down to it, that Southern Hill didn't. But but there's a lot of golf courses he built on some acreage and he just used what God had given him. And I, I, I like that in a designer. I really do. Who, who's your least favorite course designer? <laughs> oh, wow. Well, now, you know, this is going to sound stupid and I hated to say it, but some of Pete Dye's stuff I don't like. There's a lot of his stuff I do like, but there's some of his stuff that uh, I don't know. I don't know what he was thinking, especially as he got a little later in his career building golf courses. I, I think sometimes he does stuff that's just a little bit too much for me. Um, early on, you know, he built uh, down there at Hilton Head. He built that one. He built Oak Tree, which is phenomenal. He did a lot of golf courses. Crooked Stick was a hell of a golf course. But he did French Lick up in Indiana. And I'm going to tell you what, guys. I'd rather go get a root canal than have to play <laughs> French Lick again. I, I was just so unimpressed with French Lick. Uh, so... Uh, you know, I'm not beating up on him, but I would say some of his stuff I'm I'm not I'm not too fond of. T Dub, I would have to go Pete Dye as my favorite course designer. I know a lot of people curse at wow. him as far as, you know, when they're out playing Oak Tree, but as far as just, you know, pleasing to my eye, I, I think it probably comes from the fact that I played Pete Dye golf courses at Oak Tree all growing up. Um, but even, you know, I went up to Purdue. One of my best tournaments was up at Purdue, um, you know, at the camping course. I loved that die course up there. Um, you know, Whistling Straits is one of the great courses. TPC Sawgrass obviously um, played there, loved playing there. And so I, I think that, you know, I think a lot of people don't like the fact that Pete Dye emphasizes target golf probably more than any other designer, but I kind of like it, and it kind of fits my eye once you get past the visual intimidation off the tee box. But that, that's exactly what it is, Sam. It's the visual intimidation. It's the not being able to trust the target that you're aiming at and making you really think on the, on the tee box. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I agree with exactly what Willie said. I think he's had some phenomenal golf courses. I think Oak Tree National is one of the best golf courses in the country and probably the world when it's all said and done. I mean, some of those holes out there, you got three, four 
uh, 13, uh, 16, 17. They're all some of my favorite holes that I've ever got to play. And Harbortown's a phenomenal golf course. I just, I think Woody was spot on with this point of the, the longer and the older he got with his age, his courses kind of got, but I could say a little bit more quirky. I think Whistling Straits is maybe the exception of that just because that's such a huge piece of property and such a gorgeous landscape that it would have been fairly hard to mess that up. So there's just so much uniqueness there with Pete Dye. So I'm a, it's a very love-hate relationship there, but I do agree with Perry Maxwell being a favorite. Him or Alistair McKenzie, I think it's a 1A, 1B scenario. I, I would agree with that. Alistair McKenzie, obviously, um, for obvious reasons, Augusta National and all of that. And T-Dub, the one last thing that I was going to say that I forgot to mention is my favorite tournament that I have watched over the past few years was when Phil won at Kiowa Island at the Ocean Course. That's that's probably on the top of my bucket list of courses that I just want to go play is, is the Ocean Course, Woody. Have you ever played there? Uh, yes, and, and if, if you go... Boy, try not to catch it when the wind's blowing. <laughs> or if you want to, if you want to get your, you want to get your butt handed to you, pick a day when the wind is blowing. Uh, I would tell you, try to find when it's not real windy, because boy, when the wind blows on that son of a gun. Um, well, you heard what Tom Jones said in our last podcast about how uh, we're rated now at Oak Tree. Our re-rating is just about point three strokes harder than Kiowa, which. Man, I don't know. But yeah, you know what? If you wanted to play two golf courses, it'll test you more than anything you'll possibly ever do. Go play Oak Tree National and go play Kiowa. Boys, while Phil Mickelson was doing his interviews for Live Golf Jetta, he had some interesting comments talking about Alan Shipnuck. He was also asked um, how he thinks that Liv is going, and he basically said, I see Live Golf trending upwards. He said, I see the PGA Tour trending downwards, and I love the side that I'm on. Um, he's also, like I said, catching a lot of flack for saying he never did an interview with Alan Shipnuck. I don't think, guys, that he was talking about the fact that Alan Shipnuck made up the things that Phil said. I think that Phil is referring to the fact uh, that he thought his comments were off the record. Um, do you have any thoughts, T-Dub, on what we heard from Phil Mickelson uh, kind of finally throwing some shots back at Alan Shipnuck uh, after all these months? Yeah, so essentially, basically he was confirming that he didn't agree to, or the things were off the record that he was telling Alan Shipnuck. It wasn't a sit-down formal interview, so that's, that's all stuff that had already been alluded to, and I'm not, not surprised by that. I, I'll say this. I, he, he said the PJ Tour is on the down and lives on the up, and I, I think depending on the time frame you look at it, because I do believe Liv was on the up, but I think over these last couple of months, I think the PJ Tour has, has rebounded fairly well from this. I mean, there was a lot of guys who still may go to live that we rumored to, who, who didn't, who are very world-class players, are still on the PGA Tour. It's united a lot of the players. I mean, I know there's some people who don't agree with Tiger and Rory running the show, but there's a lot of people who do. And so I think as long as you have those two catalysts there, I think the PGA Tour will be fine. But these next few years are going to be huge for the PGA Tour because Tiger's not going to be able to play forever. Who knows how much he's going to be able to get to play going forward. So Rory alluded to this. You can only ride his coattails for so long. So these next, next few years are going to be very, very monumental the PJ Tour, I just I don't I don't think they're as on the down as much as he was alluding to. If that makes any sense, it makes sense to me. But where I would say that they are kind of on the down, it's the fact that 
the PGA Tour a couple of years ago had all the leverage. Now the players have the leverage, especially John Rahm, Rory McIlroy, Justin Thomas, Patrick Cantlay, and Xander Shoffley. If they lost any of those five guys to live, to me, the, the right now the pendulum still swings a little bit more towards the PGA Tour. I think the pendulum, if if they lost any of those five guys, Woody, I think the pendulum would swing to live. And I feel like the leverage factor of it all and and what Phil was talking about, you know, in the beginning of giving players more rights and more money, I think that that pendulum has swung more towards live and and it could even swing all the way towards live if they lost one of those five guys from the PGA Tour. Spot on, spot on, and and, and that's those uh, world ranking points. Uh, we've we've said it all along, and Liv's going to come up with a plan. Liv's going to come up with something where these guys get world ranking points, and then if they get world ranking points, uh, who knows what might happen? You can't tell me that those guys on the PGA Tour aren't looking at Dustin Johnson pocketing thirty million dollars this year, and how many events have we played? Six thirty yes, yes. million dollars. Okay. Now, the PGA Tour is making it as nice as they can, but there's nobody making $30 million in six events. So what do they always say? When the money talks, people walk. Okay? So I'm going to go with it. I'm going to go with it because I still believe there's a lot of guys that saw what those guys are pocketing in very short periods of time. So, uh I think it's still up for grabs. I I, I tend to agree with what T-Dub's saying. I I don't see the PGA Tour. Uh, They're all right. They're going to be fine. They're not going anywhere. but, But it sure is fun watching competition. I just enjoy it. And guys, we also heard some pretty significant comments um, from Jack Nicholas, and I feel like these comments might be the first time we've heard a real legend of the game kind of speak out, other than obviously Greg Norman, um, but a real legend of the game kind of speak out, not against the PGA Tour, but kind of acknowledge the fact that the PGA Tour has gotten pushed around a little bit. Jack Nicholas said, the live thing pushed the PGA Tour. That's pretty obvious. He says, what it's done is made the tour almost two tiers. All of a sudden, the other tournaments become feeder tournaments. And so T-Dub, to me, you know, we've heard from the Luke Donalds of the world or obviously, you know, the, the Davis Love the Thirds and Freddie Couples all so for the PGA Tour. Jack Nicholas of all people, the greatest or second greatest golfer of all time, is coming out acknowledging the fact that the PGA Tour just had about half of their tournaments diminished, uh, and especially next year. Um, I think that's what he's talking about in all this. Yeah, and that, that's one of the main things we talked about when the PGA Tour announced their schedule changes. Yes, it is going to dilute some of the other tournaments, and, and I think that that's something that is going to be definitely a huge, huge downside for the PGA Tour. They're, they're kind of bad weeks, but one of the reasons why I think the PGA Tour is at least somewhat rebounded is like kind of what we're seeing with Liv is when you put a lot of great players in a field, it makes for a great tournament. And those, so those, uh, those select PGA Tour events are going to be the, the elite or whatever the, the terminology they use to call, to call those elevated events, I believe is what it was. And those are going to be absolutely exceptional. They're going to be, besides the majors and the elite Liv events, going to be the, the, the best events of the year. So it's going to be, it's going to be absolutely stellar to watch. I think those are going to be the real big money draw events for the PGA Tour because it's, it's like so many Tour players. It's almost like every Tour player who we've ever talked to says that the season's too long and there needs to be off breaks, and that's essentially what the those weeks are going to be. So 
I think it's going to put more money and more viewership on those select weeks. And those off weeks, yeah, it's going to suck for the for the events or for the towns that are hosting it in the cities. But it's, it's just the nature of the beast. And so it's, instead of it being watered down over an entire season, you're at least going to get great players for the 12 or 16 events, whatever it was. And then obviously you have the majors and the live events. So, yeah, I think it's, I think it's going to be absolutely great for the game of golf going forward. And then the last interesting quote we heard from the live interviews this week was from Dustin Johnson. And um, he basically said, we're going to get official world golf ranking points. It's just a matter of when, and they're trying to jump through all the red tape. I know that the flushing it podcast reported earlier this week that it was confirmed uh, that live was going to have a cut in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. It doesn't seem like that's going to happen. We're a day out. We haven't had any confirmation about that happening, Woody. Um, but, to me, this all just seems like semantics and red tape just to kind of delay the inevitable on Liv getting official World Golf ranking. And obviously, even if it does happen, we talked on previous podcasts about how they're not going to get the same world ranking points they would, you know, or they previously did on, on PGA Tour events. And so why and how is it good for the game of golf if they just keep delaying this? It makes no sense to me. It seems like they're just trying to delay it as long as possible to screw guys like a Taylor Gooch over uh, in the long run? Oh, I think they, they they might not have their mindset on doing that, but they're doing it, whether they know it or not. It's it's inevitable. You guys have said it. We've said it. Dustin Johnson now believes it. I guess it's, you know, it's kind of like when you're getting ready to throw up and you just don't want to, <laughs> yes. but sooner or later you just throw up. Well, and there are many times. That's what it's going to be. You know what? Everybody's just going to fight it, fight it, fight it. And then all of a sudden, everybody's just going to throw up and it's going to be all right. Totally agree, boys. And last show, we talked about the Jackson T. Stevens Cup, as it's called, um, the college tournament at Seminole Golf Club. And North Carolina boys went out and dominated this event. Uh, North Carolina finished at 40 under. Stanford finished second at 20 under. Um, Florida State in third at 19 under. So North Carolina lapped the field, boys. David Ford, the sophomore out of North Carolina, finished first. He shot 68-62-70 to win for North Carolina and for the individual title. Austin Greaser finished fourth for North Carolina. Dylan Minetti was the worst on his team, guys, and he finished tied for 10th. That is just unbelievable golf. Imagine the qualifiers they're having in North Carolina, T-Dub. This team is absolutely loaded. It's we've had so many great, great teams around around this area over the last few years, and this North Carolina team so far in the fall is one of the one of the best deepest teams I can remember ever seeing. I mean, they are just absolutely dominant. And and when they went to the match play yesterday against against Florida State, you know they won three and two. Manetti won in nineteen holes. The only two players that won uh, for Florida State, they won one up. Uh, Burnett for for North Carolina won five and three. So, I mean, that's just absolute domination. I just, I think that they're going to be very, very hard to beat. I think they're, they're going to have a very similar spring, in my opinion, to what the Hovland uh, Wolf team did a few years ago, where they won, what, seven of the eight events they played in. I'm not getting it done at Nationals, which is, which is very interesting. So, it'll be interesting for, for North Carolina if they are able to do that, because I don't, I would expect them to win 90% of the tournaments that they play in going forward. Woody, your Oklahoma State Cowboys finished last in that 
Seminole tournament. And so um, my question here is, obviously, last show we talked about Brian Stark hitting the transfer portal. Chikara's winning on the live when he said he was going to come back to school this year. So they're two of their top guys are out. And obviously, Rasmus Neergaard-Peterson has the back injury. So Jonas Bumgarner is carrying the team. He finished second in the golf tournament in Oklahoma State when he finishes last. What do you say to guys like a Dylan Stewart or a Leo Oyo or even a Bo Jin um, who are kind of thrusted into the middle of this lineup uh, all of a sudden when they didn't even think they, you know, especially a Dylan Stewart really probably didn't even think he had a chance to play at the start of the year. How do you kind of get these guys' mindset and coach them up to uh, to at least try to make the NCAA tournament? Your first off, you don't go, hey, because everybody else left, you finally get to play. That, that's the last thing you want to tell them. The other thing you want to tell them is now it's your time. And so I remember Holder used to always say to us, and I used to laugh at some of the stuff he'd say, but boy, I'll tell you what, he would say, hey, it's time for you to get your big boy britches on and get out there and play. Um, he, one time I was playing in a golf tournament and he was on the tee and he said, what do you got to figure out if you're going to be a player and also round? And it was a par five. I knocked it on in two and I four putted for six. And so I kind of went to the next <laughs> day going, well, I guess I'm just going to be an also ran. So, um, you, you got to be careful. They're, they're, you know how it is, guys. Golfers are so fragile for a better lack of terms. And it's hard to coach him up, but he's going to, he's got some time and that's what he needs to do. He needs to get it together and build towards spring and towards the nationals. Find five guys that can play and uh, don't worry about it. Just get out there and compete. And if you can compete, you'll get better. T-Dub, what are your thoughts on the pokes? I think it's going to be fairly rough sledding for them going forward. Not not as in, I don't I don't think they're going to finish last like they did in this event any week. I just think it's good. there are going to be some growing pains. There's going to be some guys who are a little inexperienced, and I think the winter will be big for them if they're able to have a fairly good offseason and can come in into the spring. But with full shoulders, I think they'll have a lot better chance. But as of right now, it's, it's going to take a little bit of process for them to, to, to get back to the standard they want, but just because it's a car leaving and now Brian Stark leaving. It's just those, those are two two major hits for the program that I know Chikara happened a few months ago, but something that they weren't really planning for, and they weren't planning for the Stark deal either. So it, it, it's something that's hard to rebound when you lose two of two of your best players. And it's, it's going to take a little bit of time, but I, I do expect them to, to make the national tournament. And then, you know, I don't know if I would pick them to make match play. I'm not sure if they're the top 18 by any stretch at, the, at this point, but if they can get and get their, their feet a little bit more wet, for some of those inexperienced players, I expect them to have a, a better spring than what we've seen, at least down at Simmons. 100%. Hopefully, the Cowboys can get it turned around. We love watching Alan Bratton and the Pokes make a charge into the postseason every single year. It'll be interesting to see if they can do it even behind the eight ball as they have been all year. T-Dub, I'm curious to get your thoughts and tell the people about a former athlete who will be playing in a USGA event coming up. Yeah, re- really interesting. My, my dad a few days ago was telling me uh, about the the, four, the USGA football qualifiers going on out of Winter Creek. I actually worked out there. It's in Blanchard, Oklahoma. I actually worked out there for three years. My man Malachi Murphy is doing a, an absolute great job as director of golf to so make sure to go check them out and I, I saw he told me Tony Romo was in the field, and I said, "Oh, there's no way. There's no way Tony Romo's playing." And what was funny is that Romo was on the call for, I believe, the Buffalo Bills game on Sunday, and he's in playing a golf in Blanchard, Oklahoma, the next day. I found that <laughs> very, 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 very cool. And he, he actually played. Romo played 
with a 17 year old kid named Tommy Morrison. He's actually a, a commit to the University of Texas, so he's an absolute astonishing player. But he's six foot ten, guys, six ten. Are you? He's almost seven feet tall. He should be on the basketball court playing for the Thunder, but he's not out at Winter Creek, just absolutely balling. They, they shoot nine under total. They actually had a bogey in there on the ninth hole, which the ninth hole really isn't that tricky. So that's a, a fairly disappointing bogey in a best ball format. But end up making 10 birdies along the way. Tony Romo shot 66. And it's not a very easy golf course, especially on the conditions that are happening on Monday. So really, really cool to see. And the four balls at Kiowa. We were talking about Pete Dye earlier and how tough that place is. So, uh, you know, Romo and his, and his six foot ten partner are going to have uh, something to look out for. And they, I believe they finished second. At the qualifier, so they didn't even win it. But I do expect them to have a pretty good show in the Kiowa boys. Woody, I'm curious to get your thoughts. I know we have Vince Gill on the podcast, who is a great golfer, who's a celebrity. But have you, who else, as far as athletes, are are really solid golfers? Tony Romo's probably at the top of the list, right? Of, of former athletes that can really play some golf. I would say you're right with Romo. Romo's pretty doggone good. I, I pardon me, my excavator's going again. I'll try to get where I'm far enough away. <laughs> but uh, the other guy I would say that's really good that I played with back in the day was Rick Roden. Really good golfer. That's interesting. Rick Roden, for our younger listeners, tell tell us about Rick Roden because I, I Woody, I don't even know who Rick Roden is. I have no Rick, idea who the hell that is. Well, I know I date you guys all the time. I don't mean to, but uh, Rick Roden was a pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers and uh, a really good player. I mean, he could play. He played some championship events and uh, played well. He was good friends with Mickey Pendleton, and uh, that's how I met him. Played a lot of golf with him. He was uh, he was good. I'll tell you what, he's real good. So. Pitchers, you know, pitchers in baseball are usually the good ones because they only had to work every four days. Right. So whenever they were, at a, wherever they were pitching somewhere, if they weren't or playing somewhere, if they weren't pitching in the morning when everybody else was going through their workouts and everything else, uh, the, a lot of times pitchers would go play golf. I, when I was in California at Wood Ranch, I had a number of times where they came out and played golf at Wood Ranch when they were uh, in town to play against the Dodgers, and they'd come out and play golf. That that is a really cool story, uh, there, Woody. T. Dub, you have any other former athletes that can maybe compete with Romo? Uh, Curry's pretty good. I, I don't think he's as good as as Romo is. Um, everyone says John Smoltz, uh, the, the pitcher for the Braves. They say he's yeah. a, a really good golfer. He plays in the in the celebrity deal all the time. But yeah, I think that I think that Romo is probably the most famous one who, who's a really good golfer. There's some other names that uh, the highlight at the celebrity deal. And also, too, you got someone like Charles Barkley, who's more famous for being an absolutely shitty golfer as opposed to being really good. So That's right. a lot of times the celebrity thing, it's if you're really good or you're really bad, you're somewhere mediocre. No one even knows if you play golf. That's exactly right. Uh, boys, thank you so much for today. Jim Woodward, Taylor Williams. I have been Sam Humphreys here on the 73rd Hole Podcast. Please go hit that subscribe button at the bottom of the podcast. Absolutely free. It just helps us out and gives you a notification when we release our next episode. And also go follow at the 73rd hole on Twitter and at 73rd hole on Instagram. T-Dub, did we miss anything today? I, I think we've hit most of it. We're, we're, we alluded to we're one, one round down on the, on the Zozo. I think that's going to be a really good term. I look for shot play. To end up winning that, just off my opinion, and then then the live event as well. So this is going to be the last uh, 
I believe, individual lib before we go to Miami, which is a team contest. And then we're going to have a whole new season of it starting up next year. So I'm going to go ahead and soak in a little bit of the individual lib. And then I'm going to be really excited for that team aspect down at, uh, at Woody's course, TPC uh, Doral. I thought you were going to say down at Woody's Part 3 course. Uh, what, what should we call Woody's Part 3 course? Woody's World? <laughs> Woody, you got any names Woody, for it? Woody, hey, that's a, shoot, that's a good question. I haven't named this sucker yet. We'll have to work on that. Maybe we can ask our uh, listeners to uh, send in a message. Text okay. Uh-oh. Tell us what I need to name my golf course. Because uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm glad the show is over because – I'm looking out here, man. I got shit to do. <laughs> I got to go. <laughs> I got to build me some new tee boxes. <laughs> go get your tee boxes done, Woody. This has been the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. <laughs>